Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. This is Jeff, and thank you so much for listening today. Man, we have got a whole bunch of stuff teed up for today, so we're going to jump right in and get started. I did just have a uh, minor little heart attack this morning. I have a uh, Rodecaster Pro, which I use for all of my audio sound mixing and all that good stuff, and I pushed the record button this morning, and I didn't have a SD card, which would normally not be a problem if I was sitting at home in my desk, but I'm down here at the apiary in the RV, and I had a kind of an oh crap moment. Fortunately, I think I dropped two or three SD cards in my uh, AV bag and was able to rectify that pretty quickly. As I mentioned, I am down here at the RV, and it's been getting pretty hot uh, during the day. So I'm up fairly early in the morning here. I'm not going to say what time it is because I'm sure there's probably like 40 million people already at work and they're like, please tell me you didn't just wake up. So I'm not going to get too too detailed there, but I figured I'll knock this out in the morning before it just gets crazy hot. I would love to do it during the day uh, with the generator running and the AC on, but uh, it's just way too loud. I have to uh, start off with a little tiny apology here. I've been really trying to get you know, on a good schedule of getting getting some content out every week. But we were a little bit preoccupied last week. So my middle daughter graduated high school last week. We had a bunch of family in town, and uh, it was a really great time. So this is my second daughter to graduate. And it's different. Like, it's not, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you've already been through this once, same thing. But it's not. It's completely, you know, each person is their own unique individual and, I'm still, I think, equally as affected by it, even though I've already been through it with my older daughter. And uh, it's just, it's so weird. You know, oh God, you know, as a parent, I look back and I just think of those days, you know, those days where, you know, it's just chaos and diapers and, you know, constant screaming and stuff. And then you get to kind of like those really fun days where like they're running around, everybody's having a good time. And then, you know, then next thing you know, you're just kind of, figure in their life but they're doing their own things and I uh, a quick quick story about my my middle daughter when she was little and I mean like about three we we built a new house 
And she was just, you know, maybe a year or two, probably about two years into walking. So she's probably like at this point, probably about three years old, maybe four years old. And she would come to me and say, Daddy, throw me in the air, throw me in the air. And I'm like, I would kind of just, you know, throw her up a foot or two, you know, but you don't, you don't want to throw her into the ceiling. And uh, when we had moved into this new house, it had a two-story foyer. So she kept wanting me to throw her higher. And I'm like, well, let's go into the foyer and I can, I can throw you higher. So I got her in that room. And I mean, again, this is like two full stories high. It's, it's got to be like 20 some feet, I'm guessing. And I just took her and threw her as high as I could. And I remember that look on her face, that like look of sheer terror looking down at me like, oh my God, what are you doing to me? And you know, I just kept my hands up in the air. And as she came down, I caught her. And I'm thinking, oh God, I just permanently scarred my child for life. I scared her to death. And her eyes just got really big. And she's like, do it again, do it again. So from then on, that became known as the throwing room. So it's like, let's go to the throwing room. I'm like, all right, here we go. So um, it's weird to see that little girl, now a, a woman getting ready to go out into the world and go into a great university and all kinds of uh, exciting things for her. So it was really, really a great week. It did have an impact on my Ability to podcast and get things done, but I'm, I'm sure most everybody can understand that. I did try a couple of times and uh, failed miserably between a couple of extra dogs barking at the house, maybe a couple of people yelling at each other, not like in anger, just trying to get an answer to something. And there was a little bit of yelling here and there and a little bit of chaos. And I just thought, you know, I'll just keep making notes and we'll just uh, keep things moving. As you see, this, the subject this week, you know, I have honey, honey, and more honey. This is primarily because I've gotten quite a few emails about uh, about honey over the past couple of weeks, and you can you can thank me now or later, whichever is best for you. But the original title I had was "Stop Honey Time." Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Well, so so this kind of comes with the territory. I've been a dad for a long time, and as you progress, and this is good information for you young dads out there, as you get older and older, and you've been a father longer and longer, the magnitude severity and and negative impact that your dad jokes are going to have it's, it's going to continue to escalate and get worse and worse the key is recognition so you need to recognize this early so that you can kind of pull back on the reins and kind of self-throttle it's a skill it takes time so you'll get there now like I mentioned the notes that I have put together are probably going back almost 10 12 days now because I've been working on, on getting things together but they're still relevant they're still important and I wanted to make sure that the number one thing that I would say is most time sensitive that I didn't, didn't get to is a, just a good Father's Day wish to all the dads out there. And also want to thank all the moms, too, because without the moms, you know, the dads are just a bunch of guys hanging out. So thank you to the moms, too. I had a great Father's Day. I had my nephew, my two younger girls. We were at the uh, Norfolk Tides baseball game. Uh, they were playing the, the Durham Bulls, which for anybody who remembers the movie Bull Durham from the 80s, any jokes that you make about that, if you're at a ball game, you're going to be the only one who gets them apparently because I thought some of them were funny and nobody else knew what I was talking about. But a great classic, Susan Sarandon, uh, Kevin Costner from the 80s, check it out, Bull Durham. But had a really good time at the ball game with the, with the kids. The next thing I wanted to touch on real quick here is if you are in the Hampton Roads area, right? This is a southeast Virginia. This would encompass Chesapeake, Virginia Beach, Portsmouth, Norfolk, um, Suffolk. That's pretty much about it. But I mean, anywhere within within the region. 
the Beekeepers Guild of Southeast Virginia is doing a honey extraction event. They call it Extractaganza. This is scheduled for the 10th of July. Now, this is something that's open to members. So if you've been on the fence about joining a bee club and you're just not sure or whatever, this is a great opportunity for you. If you've got some honey supers and you need to extract some honey, it, it's it's free. It doesn't cost you anything to um, be a part of this. You just need to be a member, and you can leverage uh, resources and, and extraction equipment that they have there at the club. And it's a great way for you to learn how to extract and, you know, quite frankly, I mean, the equipment, if you're buying really nice extraction equipment, it can be pretty pricey. So this is a great way to, you know, get involved with other people, get to meet folks and do some extraction. Now, for the record, like I am, um, I think I'm like number two, number one or two for probably worst member of this club ever. Like I don't go to meetings. I don't participate in anything. Basically, I was going to get more active like last year and this year. And then COVID came around and I've done enough zoom webex teams you know whatever virtual meetings in my career to i've already checked that box i've already done enough of them so i just didn't i just didn't want to do a virtual meeting i want to sit down with people interact face to face so once they start doing live meetings again and and all that i'll probably be more active but anyway they're doing extraction on the 10th of july and the membership is cheap right if you join it's it's 30 dollars for a family membership for a year you also get membership to the virginia beekeeping state beekeepers association so both those are bundled in together definitely worth the money and it's a great opportunity to continue learning and all that and and if you are in a if you're in a bee club anywhere in the world i guess i mean wherever you are if you need to get the announcement out or if you know other people who might be in your area that you're trying to kind of track down just let me know i'm happy to do a mention on here and hopefully get people connected if they need to uh make an announcement about an event or something you have going on just feel free to let me know so I think this is probably a good time to go ahead and jump in and, and talk a little bit about honey because obviously this is kind of a uh, hot topic right now. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this and, the, and they are really going to be dictated by kind of your area and your level of experience, what you know about the nectar flow in, in your area and things like that. Here's what I would say, very, very generically speaking, recognizing that across the world, you know, environments, ecosystems, uh, conditions, everything is very different. My recommendation to you would be to document everything in the colony. So say you have two deep uh, hive bodies and maybe three honey supers, and you get to the end of the season and those, those are all packed, right? You got everything is completely packed, loaded up, and you're getting ready to go into winter. If you have a way that you can actually weigh the hive, that's great. But in the absence of that, you know, just being able to catalog and keep track of everything that's in your setup and everything that those bees are going into the winter with. And then in the spring, you can see what they have left over. I think that's a great way to do things, particularly for someone who's brand new and is just trying to get the bees to make it through the winter. If you just take a guess and say, oh, yeah, I think they'll be okay with, you know, just the two deeps by themselves and whatever honey they have in that upper deep, they'll be fine. If you take a guess with that, you might be right and you might be wrong. You're literally tossing a coin on the success or failure of your colony. Allowing them to overwinter with everything allows you to see in the spring, you know, where they are, how much they needed. You may see in that scenario that I just gave where you had two deeps and three mediums, you may find in the spring that they've got a medium and a half that's completely full. 
you make a note and you say, okay, great. This is how much I left behind last year. This is how much was left over in the spring. So conditions being the same next year, I should be able to take an entire medium for myself and still have some left over. Now, the other option here that I always defer to, and you're going to hear me say it over and over again, you know, talk to people in your local area, talk to people in your B club, find out, hey, how much do you guys typically, you know, want to see in reserves for your colonies to overwinter? There are a lot of commercial apiaries that will weigh their hives. So they'll put, you know, each colony up on a scale and they know based on my climate and the, the typical winter for us, my colonies need to be 60 pounds going into winter or whatever it might be. And then they will supplemental feed accordingly and, you know, based on their past statistics and everything. And they keep track of all of that, right? They keep track of the exact weight, how much sugar syrup they fed them to get them you know, prepared for the winter. These are all things that you can do too. You just do it at a smaller scale. But that's my generic recommendation as far as how you should handle honey in year one. Again, if you're working with someone in your local bee club, a friend, a neighbor, whoever it might be, and they've had a chance to kind of look at your hive and say, you know, hey, oh, wow, yeah, your bees are doing great. You've got three supers of honey. They won't, even, they won't need any of that because they've got plenty stored down below in, that, in, you know, in the two brood boxes. Then great, right? You're, hopefully your mentor is not going to steer you wrong, and then you can talk about extracting. Worst case scenario in that situation, if you have three, take one or two. If you have two, take one. If you have one, maybe you don't take any. You know, just just use some common sense on that, and you're never going to go wrong waiting a year, right? You've gone this this long in your life without having, you know, colonies of bees. You can wait another year. Your bees will thank you for it. Now, let's say, though, that you have determined, no, I'm definitely taking honey this year. What do I do? When do I harvest? What I typically tell people is think about the colony when you first set it up in the spring. You had bees coming in and out like crazy. If you were using an entrance reducer down to like three quarters of an inch or so, you probably noticed that the bees were just fighting to get in and out. And as soon as you opened it up, maybe to, let's say the three inch opening or even all the way open, the bees were just coming in and out like mad. You would see them loaded down. The pollen sacks would be completely full and the activity at the entrance of the hive was just through the roof. And then of course, as you do your inspections, you're inside and you see just eggs and larvae and cat brood everywhere. The colonies are exploding in their size. These are all indicators of a nectar flow. As that nectar flow diminishes, you're going to start to see a reduction in activity. The bees are not appearing to be moving with as much of a purpose as they once were. And just everything slows down. You open, like, for example, I opened up, you know, some hives the other day and I was seeing like a frame or a frame and a half of eggs and larvae versus like the whole thing being completely laid up and, and, you know, um, ready to have new workers within a couple of weeks. So they're definitely tapering the size of the colony, right? You don't want to create more mouths to feed if there's no new food coming in. It, It just makes sense. As you begin to see this tapering in activity, the reduction in the number of eggs being laid and, and brood being produced, because remember that the queen is still going to need to lay eggs. The colony is still going to need to produce replacement bees for the bees that are they're just aging out. But you'll notice a significant reduction in that. So that's what I'm really looking for. When that activity level starts to drop off, when the egg production drops and the brood production drops, when all of these things are, are starting to, to go down and you see a lot more bees are just kind of hanging out, 
that's where it, it tends to be the time frame where you're probably getting close to extraction. couple of notes around that. Like for, for me personally, if I'm extracting, it's usually around now. It's usually kind of that 4th of July time frame, a little bit before, a little bit after, but that's just kind of a good time. I don't do anything with honey and honey extraction and all of that around a couple of scenarios that are important. Number one, if you're going to treat for varroa, you don't treat for varroa with honey supers on the colony. So you either treat in advance in the spring before the honey supers go on. You treat in the fall after the honey supers come off. Either of those are fine. You just don't treat while you have honey supers on the hive. You also don't want to be feeding sugar syrup. Like right now, as an example, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit, little bit more later on, but right now I'm supplemental feeding. I've got my feeders out and that's working well. I don't want to be extracting honey, air quotes, that is based on sugar syrup. I want to be extracting honey based on wildflowers and nectar and pollen and the things that are in the environment. When I extract my honey, I want to be getting wildflower honey. I don't want to be getting sugar syrup, right? So once you decide that you're taking honey for yourself, then that's fine. Do what you got to do with that. But whatever is still left in that colony when you put your sugar syrup out needs to stay there for the bees, right? Don't don't start extracting sugar syrup as honey, and it's just not the good thing to do there. So that's sort of the quick, you know, down and dirty answer right there as far as when you should extract honey. Look for the re- reduced level of activity. And another thing you can do too is you can track pollen in your area, just the kind of pollen levels and the things that the forage that might be available to your bees. And when you see those pollen levels dropping in those specific areas, that might be a good indicator as well. Like I said, where I am now, we're into this dearth. I'm going to be supplemental feeding for the next month and a half or so. And I'm not going to be doing any more splits. I was actually going to do some kind of midsummer splits and try and do a little bit of queen rearing to uh, position myself for next spring since that thing kind of fell apart with that other apiary. But I just, I, I'm, I got too much going on right now between the property and some other things that I just, I don't have the cycles to do queen rearing and make sure that everything is, is in place like it needs to be. So I am probably going to just stick with what I have for now. And then I'll set up my queen cell builders in the spring and just start cranking out queens like crazy. And, and we'll go from there. So hopefully that kind of answers the question on the honey extraction I'm not going to go into the details. I guess if if the demand was there, I could discuss it. But really, when you're extracting honey yourself, there's so many different ways you can do it. You can do it at the very basic level. I've seen people take a frame, you know, scrape off the caps, like decap the frame, and like squeeze it into a mush and filter it through a piece of cheesecloth and and other microfiber kind of cloths into a jar and be like, I'm done. Here we go. And yeah, I mean, that, that can work. It's a little messy, but you can make that work all the way up to high end machinery where you drop the frame in it, it decaps as the frame goes by, you know, you drop it into a extractor, push a button, it spins for five minutes and the honey comes out of the bottom, right? There's a lot of different ways in between the first and the second that I just discussed for you to get your honey. I would honestly say if you, if you hit YouTube, there are a lot of videos about extraction and different ways and techniques. I think the first thing to consider is your budget. Just how much money do you want to spend? My, my recommendation is do something like I mentioned with the extractaganza at the Beekeepers Guild, right? Go in there, learn what equipment they're using and how they use it. 
see what you like, see what you don't like, and then make a decision. Because this is another one of those hobbies where you can spend, you know, 50 bucks, you can spend $5,000. I mean, you can literally get whatever you want and make it as easy as you want as long as you're willing to pay for it. So right now I'm going to take a real quick break here, let some of the uh, sponsors jump in and do their thing, and we'll be right back. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. All right, folks. So now I wanted to kind of jump in and talk about a couple of a couple of personal updates, a couple of things going on with the apiary. Kind of get you up to speed on that one. At the uh, at the apiary. So in preparation for the colonies that I was purchasing from the other guy here in Virginia, the other commercial guy, I purchased a lot of equipment that looks like I'm not going to be using now. But I needed to get it stored, and I still haven't built any outbuildings here yet, so I bought a really high-end, very fancy Harbor Freight portable shed. So I finally got that set up, which was uh, not quite as easy as I had hoped it would be. But I've got that set up. i got a storage area now. I've got a place to put things, which is great. Did have some help from family to put new tracks on the track loader, which was pretty awesome. One thing I did want to mention is the pollen feeders and the sugar syrup feeders I mentioned in the previous episode. I went to Home Depot and I was trying to buy all the stuff at one time, figuring this would be a piece of cake. So I really like their buckets. Their buckets have a nice rubber seal on the inside of the lid. I thought that was great. The Lowe's buckets did not have that. At least the ones that I have don't have that. So I wanted to use the Home Depot bucket. Thought that would be a good fit. But then I went and I got a section of PVC. I found a cap for it. That was great. And I couldn't find any of the like downspout adapters at Home Depot. Now, I'm sure there's somebody who works at Home Depot who's going to message me and tell me that I was not looking in the right place, which is fine. But I finally got to a point where I'm like, you know, they don't have anything I'm looking for. I put everything back. I'm like, I'm going to go to Lowe's. And so I go to Lowe's. They have their buckets, which are okay. I mean, I they don't have the rubber seal. That's the whole thing with it. After about a year or so, they, they don't maintain the seal as well. I think that's going to be a differentiator. I'll let you know more about it once I actually get, get those set up. So I was looking for the, you know, the PVC and all the adapters and everything that I needed. So I found the PVC, and then I found a cap, and the cap didn't fit over the PVC pipe. It was literally the same dimension. I'm hoping there's like a plumber or somebody who can send me a message and be like, yeah, dude, you're, you're looking at the wrong section or whatever. But on the box, it was labeled four inch cap on the PVC pipe. It's labeled four inch PVC. I'm thinking that they should kind of go together. No, they're literally the same dimension. They're like the outer dimension is the same and inner dimension is the same. And it just doesn't work. I found all the downspout adapters. 
I was like, yeah, this is great. In a completely separate section, by the way. It wasn't even with all the PVC. It was in a completely different area in a random place down the hall. I found all of that exact same situation. All those adapters. It's like you got to have a separate adapter to make those work a coupler of some sort or whatever. So I just got frustrated and just put it down. I'm like, you know, I'll come back and figure this out later. So I will eventually get that whole thing figured out. I did do a video the other day of how you make the uh, the feeder itself with the five-gallon bucket. And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus or anything, <coughs> my uncle, but the recorder of the video, press the video button, and I guess on the iPhone there's a times two button that you can push. So it'll record twice as fast with no audio. So I did this video, and, and then we just had it at twice the speed with no audio. So I figured I would do a separate recording on that one as soon as I can. So that explains that. But I am, I am seriously going to get onto these as, uh, as soon as I can. So on the subject of, uh, of the feeders, I put my sugar syrup feeder out. It's been about a week ago now, I would say. Week, week and a half, something like that. Normally the bees are really good about getting on it. You know, if, they, if we are truly, you know, in a dearth, if there's no other nectar sources, they're usually on it very quickly. And about three days went by, they hadn't touched it. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I just miscalculated the time of year. Maybe there's a, a, you know, nectar source available that I just don't know about. Uh, I think it was just that they were kind of taking it easy, relaxing over at the hive. And then somebody just happened to fly by, noticed it, told all their friends about it. And then now they're, they're on there like crazy. They went through 25 pounds of sugar, which is what I put in a single five-gallon bucket. They went through 25 pounds of sugar in two days. That was pretty quick. So the feeder is up. It's operational now. I think I threw a video on TikTok. I'll, I'll try and get them on, on all the different media platforms. But I, I actually saw a hornet, a yellow jacket, and a honeybee all side-by-side but that was kind of cool. There was a part of me that wanted to kind of like flick the hornet or, or, you know, I don't know. I wanted to kind of intervene a little bit because I feel like those are the same same ones that are going to be attacking the bees later in the summer. But I thought, you know, it's it's not my place, man. They're, they're living things too. They have their, their place in the ecosystem. And, you know, their life is no more special, I guess, than anyone else's. Or I don't know. I just didn't want to mess with them. So on to some specifics, I guess, around some of my colonies. Right now, there's not a whole lot of real excitement going on. I mean, you know, we're coming into the dearth, so, you know, things are slowing down. Um, Like I said, the feeders are out. You know, I've done inspections. I'm still seeing, you know, capped brood, larvae, eggs, everything is, it's tapering, but it's still, still there. One thing that you may want to start thinking about right now is, is combining hives, uh, I actually have two small colonies that were splits early in the season that just didn't do well. I just don't think they had enough nourishment at the time of year that I split them. So I'm going to actually take both of those and join them into another colony. I think it's, it's worth talking about, maybe even talk about it separately as a kind of a separate discussion that we can cover on a, uh, on a subsequent episode about combining colonies. Another thing I wanted to mention is uh, I posted a video on YouTube like, I don't know, like a week or so ago. But what this was was a, a wax moth infestation. So what I had done, 100% my fault, whenever I have a colony that I decommission, 
or if I have extra frames laying around with drawn comb, my process is usually I stack them all in a line next to my freezer. I have a floor freezer, like in the basement. I stack them in a line, and I'll put as many of them as I can in there for three days, and then I take them out, and I bring the next group in, and I do this over and over until they're all completely frozen out. I put them in plastic bags, drop them into a tub, plastic tub, and that does a pretty good job of keeping everything contained, keeping the wax moth out, killing any young eggs or larvae that might be in there. I had this cargo trailer that I had just thrown a bunch of bee parts in. I was just trying to get things moved, and I just I threw it all in there, which just reminded me I actually have a bunch of bee stuff in storage, so I should probably get in there to see if I find the exact same thing that I just found in that video. But anyway, I, uh, I went into the cargo trailer the other day to get some things out, and I wanted to pull some bee hardware out to put it into a different location. And I looked in and I was like, oh, crap, here we go. And I could see just the mess that was falling out of the nuke. And it was a five-frame nuke. I just started pulling frames out. And there was just wax moth larvae crawling all over the place. Pretty nasty, pretty pretty, uh, pretty gross video. So if you get a chance to check that out, it's, it is kind of interesting. My process for cleaning those is I basically take a hive tool and I will scrape everything completely off of it. I then get a tub of soapy water. I just clean them up really, really well. And then I still go through the freezing process afterwards just in case because they're really good at, at putting eggs into those little nooks and crannies around the foundation and everything. So just get them really well cleaned up, freeze them again, and put them aside. But a couple of notes around that, mothballs. Some people think like, oh, I use mothballs in my house to keep the moths off my clothes. I'll use it in the hive. That's a no-go. You do not do that. There are some, some toxic chemicals inside the mothballs. Not good for the bees. Not good for the people. It's also my understanding that uh, if you actually did use them on a frame inside the colony, like the bees would just never even touch that. They would be pretty uh, repelled by it. So definitely don't do that. The freezing method that I mentioned is, is pretty much the best way to go. Just clean up all the junk. The bees can clean up, you know, from a wax moth if they've gotten in there. They can kind of clean things up and, and fix it and repair it. Just don't leave a frame with them that is just completely destroyed, right? If it's com just a complete disaster, take that out. Don't, don't make them try and clean up all that mess. It's just too much. The most likely they'll probably ignore the whole thing altogether anyway. The one thing that you, you can do is, and I'm sure there's lots of different brand names and products, but there's something I know that I think Man Lake sells at other places do called Paramoth. Uh, or, or you can even just search for Moth Crystals. Like I said, it's, it's found under different brands. The active ingredient, ingredient inside that is going to be... Uh, it's paradichlorobenzene. So the recommended procedure, I'm actually going to read these instructions. I, I saved these in case you wanted to uh, take a look at it yourself later on. But it says, Paramoth is used to control wax moth in stored supers. Place three ounces, six tablespoons, on a paper plate and place on top bars of uppermost super. Stack five deeps or nine shallows. So I guess that's probably like seven mediums. And cover with a tarp. Equipment should be aired for several days before use. Do not use in the hive or with cut honeycomb or unextracted combs of honey. But that's a great thing you can do too, right? I think for, especially for scale, that makes sense. When you've got 20, 30, 50, 1,000 supers, that's probably going to be an approach you'd want to use. If you just have a couple around the house and you've maybe got 20 or 30 frames of drawn comb, freeze it, bag it, put it in a, in a plastic bin. Probably just as easy. So a couple of tips for you there. 
I have probably like, I'm looking here, like two more pages of notes, I think. And I haven't even gotten to the listener emails, but we're kind of wrapping up here on time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and wrap up for now. And what we'll do is we'll do a, a quick follow on and uh, get all the listener emails caught up. Last couple bits of notes and things here. And we'll try and kind of get back on track. I know I'm like I said, I'm a couple of weeks behind here, but I'm going to basically shut things down, jump right back in and get that second episode going. So we'll hopefully get this one loaded up today, next one within 24 hours, and we'll have a follow-on here in about a week. So again, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, hit me up, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com if you have any questions. And like I said, next episode we'll dive in. We'll get all these listener emails caught up. I've got things on here. We did talk about honey extraction. I've got questions on here around smoker fuel, uh, paint, a couple questions on, you know, getting bees to draw comb here and there. I got a couple of other things up there in addition to like five other topics I got to cover here in the coming weeks. So thank you again very much. And we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.